These small things can make, you know, the important pegs in our day, those important pillars that structure our life so that, you know, we have continuity and we have a sense of success throughout our life, throughout our week. When small things occur, they can offset major pillars in our life. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven, sustainable product brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, and today we're speaking with Zeke Kali, the healthy human, H-U-E-M-A-N, about his mission to make natural health and well-being accessible for all. All right, top tier greetings, peace and blessings. I am Zeke Kali, the healthy human, and I am on a passionate journey to make sure that all humans feel connected to themselves, to their health, and to the world. We can do so, we can all shift the narrative by being ourselves, by taking off our social armor and getting rooted in what we love. It's very simple, it's very simple, it's very simple. Just apply what you like and you'll end up where you wanna be. Nice, I like how simple that is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thank you for joining me, Zeke. I'm excited to chat a little bit more about what it means to be a healthy human and a bunch of other things that we always talk about. But to get us kicked off, tell us a little bit about the mission or kind of the background behind the healthy human. And for the audience, that is H-U-E-M-A-N. Yeah, yeah. So much brought about everything that goes into this passion project of mine. And I say passion project, even though it's my career, even though it's my livelihood, I say passion project because it's something that when I wake up every day and I'm applying my talents, my skills and my crafts in this area, I'm very passionate about it. So it doesn't feel like I'm waking up to work, so to speak, you know, to be able to help another human when you yourself have been through ups and downs, when you yourself have fallen into pitfalls, and for you to come out of those and then help others with those experiences, it almost gives you a double gratification. You know, so that is one of the main roots of where the healthy human comes from, you know, or reach one, teach one mentality. But also, as you expressed, you know, the opening statement was so simple. We have made health so complex. And I mean, the professionals, I mean, people who have went out and made, you know, wellness in all of its modalities, a profession of theirs to pursue in order to create a livelihood for them. We have made it very difficult to understand how easy it is to be healthy. So I'm taking it upon my shoulders. You know, I'm doing the work that I know needs to be done because I I know I have to be the change that I wish to see. So by me being a professional, by me being seen as a wellness expert, I need to make all of the difficult Latin terminology and all these different data points and charts. I need to make them simple enough to be able to speak to my mother, who is 71, right, who has lived through so many different decades and has seen food evolve. <laughs> See how I stuck that pun in there? Nice. Well played. <laughs> they have seen, she has seen food evolve in so many ways from the way that it's produced to the way that it's you know transported to the way that it's stacked in the grocery stores and the way that people consume food, right? So I have to speak to young children as well as a youth fitness instructor, coordinator, and a mentor, being able to speak to youth continuously throughout my career. I'm 30 now, and I'm hoping to live to, you know, at least outlive where my mother is at right now. So that means I'll be interacting over these next four decades with children 
and children that are growing up in those different eras, right? So the same expert, you know, words that we hear from post-op recovery or digestive issues are going to be the same in 2045, but these new recipients of this information, they're going to be drastically different in the way that they perceive, receive, and retain information, right? So it's a constant translation to other people because I realized as I entered the field of health that though I'm very studious, you know, I enjoy learning I realized that the average human, not that they don't love learning, not that they don't enjoy becoming better through what they, you know, what they come in contact with, but the way that it's presented, i.e. the way that studies are presented, they're very dry. The way that classrooms, you know, present information, present text, present studies, it's not in a way that helps the person understand how can I apply this in my everyday life? Right. It's more so in this not necessarily lab coat because that's more of the medical field, but it's a very polished environment where all these things are happening. Right. They're experiments. Right. This is where we're getting the data points by tracking people's lives and so forth. And I realize that's very difficult for people to do. It gets very boring. And when you run into too many words that you have to run to the dictionary for, it's a bit off putting. Right. So it's really a lifelong passion to make sure that people don't feel put off by the great steps forward, the leaps forward that we're taking in, you know, health research and understanding how the body works, how the body heals, how the body adapts and how going forward, how we're going to be able to live, you know, with technology. These things also will have effect on our bodies, on our biology. So, yeah, I want to make that easily accessible to the audience. I want to make that easily accessible to child and and elder. Nice. That's beautiful. Yeah, because science and scientists, especially in nutrition, it's very confusing because it's constantly changing. <laughs> but then it's also usually written for other scientists, not for humans. You know, right. so it's good to have someone like you who could translate that to other people to make Indeed. it a little bit more accessible. Would you mind if I plug a point in right there? Because yeah. that's that's really a great point. When we speak about marketing, uh, when we speak about trying to engage with the customer, consumer, or a client, you know, when these studies, when these experiments from you know very reputable universities, there's money that's passed in there. So certain results could be maximized. Not saying that they would be skewed, like they would change a number, but the presentation of data is very powerful. So when the consumer continues to see things shift, like we speak about the trending fad diets, right? So it'll go from, I don't want to put any under the bus, but we'll see what is out there. We'll go with keto or intermittent fasting. Those are two that I involve myself in, so I don't mind speaking about those. If people start to hear data that's very good, as I did, and that compels them to be healthier or make healthier choices, that's great. But in four years, if another school or organic food company even comes about and, you know, wants to maximize it in a different way. And that study also is presented in a way that turns off some people, right? But it's the same base diet. You know, it's very important that people understand how to see through that. So really the strategies that people use are more important than the data that they come across, because no matter what data they come across or experiential anecdote from somebody on Dr. Oz, they'll be able to assess what's being said and understand that they're a human just like this human and they can make the proper decision from there. You know, so, yeah, it's yeah. very important how things are presented. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I wish the science, medical community, et cetera, was a little bit better at translating for regular humans instead of speaking all the complicated language and using terms that, like you said, you have to run to the dictionary for. <laughs> I think that would make things so much easier. But hey, that's what we as marketers or designers or storytellers, <laughs> I guess, are, are meant to do. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about where this passion for health and fitness came from. Always been an athlete, but there was never really a direct correlation between the work that I'm doing in practice or training or in an actual competition to becoming like a holistically healthy person. It was just like do X amount of workouts and this result will come. And you see that body shift, you know, you see those transformations as the cells regenerate, you know, 21, 70 days. You see those things, but you don't connect those to the biology class that you're going to freshman and, you know, (laughs) sophomore year. So once I got done with, you know, high school collegiate sports, especially being young and healthy, you still want to compete in some way. And that goes for men and women. You know, you still have that drive that you want to compete, especially if you're not in a highly driven career like I was not, you know, you don't have that vying for, you know, to see who's sort of sharper. And I don't mean that in a negative connotation, just who can cut the bread better, you know. So I really just fell away from the habits that kept me on par with the regiments that sports brought. Okay. And when you do that, your body changes, even if you continue to work out, if you continue to have healthy habits. But after a while, those things, you know, you start to see changes that are much different than five or 10 years ago. So that really is what started to begin my mind to think. And then going along, getting to about 25 years old, that is when things like addiction started to set in and depression started to set in. And then when that road becomes very narrow, and it starts to hit a lot of dead ends, you start to wonder, well, what is the next step in life? You know, like, where is my next, you know, success going to come from? You know, not in the sense of like my next paycheck, but like, what is the meaning of life? And we see all through history, the thousands of years of history is this is what all men and women come to the point of, whether it's at 18 years old, whether it's in college, whether it's after college, whether it's 12 to 13 years deep into a career that seems successful, people come to this conclusion of what is life's genuine journey about, right? And I realized that it wasn't the things that I was addicted to. I realized that it wasn't the short attained happiness that I was running into. And I'm not going to, you know, sit here like most people that do battle and beat addiction daily. I'm not going to say, as most of them will say, that, you know, there was no happiness there. Because that is why people enjoy things that they're addicted to, because they find we see the pleasure in the brain, you know, the the pleasure centers in the brain erupt, you know, they become very active if we monitor them when there's certain stimuli, you know, when they have these trigger points, you know. So once I started to realize that this wasn't the life that was going to bring me, you know, longevity, happiness and longevity, and that the things that I was actually doing was beginning to destroy my body, and I didn't really like doing the axe <laughs> or things that went around the axe. Like I don't like drinking, you know, like it, to me, it's very difficult. I didn't like the process of the other drugs, but you like the point of where it gets you to. Right. So I've 
realize, well, this is stupid. <laughs> you know, I don't feel good when I do it until I'm past that point and starting to realize that, well, I was a very good athlete. You know, I did understand the body and the way that the body does adapt very well. So I just started to look into how can I become healthier? You know, I don't have a health story that is rooted in obesity or, you know, anything like that, an eating disorder or anything like that. But I did begin to lose the stature that I really desired, the stature that I maintain now, you know. So that's really what catapulted me into learning what it means to be a human, because I realized this is something that we weren't taught in school. This wasn't something that I was taught directly by any of my family members. And I have male siblings. So this wasn't anything that, you know, well, as you grow as a male, this is what occurs in your body. These are, you know, the meanings of minerals and vitamins and how they help your body maintain homeostasis. You know, this is the process of eating. You know, this is how you balance your diet. This is what you do if you get sick. These are, you know, the properties of the different, you know, roots, fruits and foods that are around you in different seasons. These are all very important things that you would expect any child to really be taught in a society as they're raised up because you want you want to raise the child to be self-sufficient. You want the child to be able to become a capable adult. And that takes teaching the child first and foremost about itself, you know. So I really just put myself back into a childlike state and began to learn everything that I could about the body everything I could about the way that the body operated, the way that the body matured, and not just in my lifetime, meaning from toddler to adolescent to, you know, young adult into, you know, seniority, but how have humans come about? How have humans evolved? How have humans become not necessarily because we've had very great civilizations, but how have we had these leaps? You know, mm -hmm. how have we had leaps from fire to wheel, <laughs> you know, to <laughs> yeah. electricity to there is something behind that. And when you think about how the brain works just in your personal life of how you take in new information that stimulates you and makes you feel, you know, interested and like you want to learn more about it so that you can be able to wield that and create a better reality for yourself or for others. These are the different things, you know, that. A, we don't come across them, and B, it's it's very important that if we do get the opportunity, if we do get the opportunity to figure out, you know, how humans came about and how they have evolved, that we should be able to maximize that even in this current age, regardless of how much technology we have. We digest food pretty much the same way we did over the entirety of our existence, right? The brain and the nervous system work in the same ways. They send messages they receive messages, right? So I really just went back to the roots of what it means to be a human. And that is genuinely what catalyzed the healthy human, making all of that because it was so many hours. I wish I would have clocked the hours, but it was so many days of like studying right after sunrise until like 5 p.m., you know, like really making myself into a healthy human, you know, because I realized there was so much I didn't know, you know. So, yeah, it, it really began by, by learning about the human species, 
and starting from there. And ever since then, I've remained rooted in that. And I just continue to go forth and figure out where we're going. Now we're going on to other planets, you know, so how are we going to stay rooted in what works for us and not change that and possibly cause major disruptions in our genome? Yeah, that's beautiful. I resonate with a lot of what you said. But one thing that pops into my mind right away is that kind of notion that you were talking about that, you know, some of the drugs and other activities that people engage in for that instant gratification of temporary Mm -hmm. happiness is so Mm -hmm. tempting because it's easy, whether that drug happens to be your your Facebook (laughs) page on your (laughs) iPhone or whether that's alcohol or whatever. But that quick, easy drip is so tempting that it's hard sometimes to focus on the more long-term happiness that comes from actually investing in your long-term health through eating right or exercise or whatever. So now that you've been on this journey for a while, do you still have moments where you <laughs> fall back and your body's like, you know what, I don't want to go and do that run today or whatever. And, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and maybe I just want to play on my phone or maybe I just want to eat that cheeseburger and pound some cake or something. <laughs> Does that still happen? It is so, I don't know why the misconception exists that, you know, when somebody is healthy Fit, you know, like for the audience that's just listening, there's lots of air quotes going in the air <laughs> from these words, but it's not any different when you wake up and the day doesn't start the way that you want it. And that can be as simple for some people as the water was too cold in the shower. They hit the snooze button and they usually don't. And the snooze button didn't work, you know, or you forgot that you didn't grind coffee the night before. So that offsets your schedule. Like, These small things can make, you know, the important pegs in our day, those important pillars that structure our life so that, you know, we have continuity and we have a sense of success throughout our life, throughout our week. When small things occur, they can offset major pillars in our life. And this is something that we as humans have to really understand, right, is that there is going to be these ups and downs. And this doesn't mean don't feel your emotions, get over your emotions. I will never say that. I feel my my energy in motion very often. And I try not to hide it because I'm a man. I'm a black man in the West. And to suppress my emotions is going to cause a lot more internal turmoil that may come out in a way on somebody that does not, it has nothing to do with. And that can be a child or an elder. You know, and by keeping your mind in that state when you're not a child or elder of thinking how that could affect them, it really keeps you, you know, even killed. It's a very easy guiding factor, you know. Beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah, I like that notion of compassion to keep yourself kind of balanced there. I often also talk about that when when you're frustrated and something's happening in your life and and you Mm -hmm. have this temptation to take it out on others, whether it's just snapping at someone that, you know, cross the street wrong or something like that in front mm-hmm. of you. But when you take a step back and realize that, you know, well, I shouldn't inflict my pain on others or put yourself in their shoes when they snap at you and not respond back in a negative way. It's just all about understanding that everyone's going through something <laughs> at the moment. That's right. And so don't take everything so personally. Like if somebody, you know, accidentally drives halfway into the crosswalk, it's not time right. for you to get up on your high horse and, and make them learn right. their lesson because they're probably going through something. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, those major events, you know, they can spill out onto other people, but those things are those internal battles that we have to defeat and we have to see through that run that we want to skip. 
right? If you don't want to do the activity, if you try to engage in it and it doesn't feel right, try it for five more minutes. This is like first piece of advice. So I hope people have their pen and paper today because <laughs> there's some things that are going to come out. So try to engage in that activity again at about 80% of what you were planning to do it for five more minutes. If, if that voice inside of you is still nagging you to the point where it's causing your heart rate to rise higher than where it normally would be, then I say take it down. So if you're running, just walk for the allotted time, right? If you're riding your bike and you're, you're supposed to be doing intervals or something or going for a longer ride, then shorten it and shorten the pace and just enjoy the activity. But don't just throw it out. There will be days where you may not do it. I'm not going to be that person that says you have to be perfect, but do your best to see through that time slot being filled with a semblance of that physical fitness activity, you know? Yeah, that's a good behavior design technique to yeah. not throw the baby out with bathwater to have like right. a low kind of minimum behavior that you're trying to achieve. And if you don't achieve the maximum behavior, that's fine. Just still do the minimum and make the minimum so easy that you can always do it to keep your confidence exactly. up so you don't just, you know, get burnt out and decide to quit because it's not for you or something. True. Another thing that you touched on that I really liked slash resonated with was the idea of like a in your background story saying like nobody ever taught me this stuff when I was younger so I just dove in and learned it right but also b yeah <laughs> you as part of your mission you want to teach the youth as well as adults of course but like I feel like the teaching youth how to eat right how to think about their body long term and so on and so forth seems like a very valuable thing to do because if you start with a good foundation when you're younger that can carry with you throughout, right? Whereas yeah. I think a lot of people don't get any of that kind of education or mentorship when they're younger. And then they have to go through all the challenges and problems of experiencing what it's like to not live in that healthier way. And sometimes have to hit like some sort of rock bottom before they decide to start changing it because they never got mentored or told, hey, this is going to happen when you hit this age or, hey, this is what happens when you repeatedly do these bad behaviors and so on and so forth. So I think that's really great of you to be focusing on youth as well as adults because planting those seeds early on will be powerful later on. And one reason I bring that up is I think my naturally healthy eating habits came partially from my grandmother who grew up on a farm during the depression and loved to garden Love right. to cook food right. from scratch and, you know, preserve food and make things full of healthy vegetables and, you know, not focused only on the meat or something. So I grew up yeah. eating that way because she was there in my life. She didn't necessarily hand me a textbook or whatever, but she just showed me what right. it's like, you know, for her and her family that lived into their hundreds <laughs> to right. eat. And that seemed... <laughs> I learned to enjoy that kind of eating. So later on in life, I didn't have to unlearn some of those bad habits. Oh, that's so key. Yeah, yeah. Unlearning is probably the most difficult barrier that I come up against. It's very, when people haven't experienced a genuine pain, and I'm speaking of health here, when people haven't experienced a genuine pain, and that could be their pain or losing multiple loved ones because of, you know, some sort of chronic disease, it's very difficult for them to accept that the practices that they're engaging in are bad for them. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, when we have, like you say, when we are not taught the foundations of what it means to grow and be sustained as humans, like 
I love this example that I started with when I first started my radio show. So we do not have a manual like a brand new Camaro. We do not have, you know, you open our glove box, you know, <laughs> yeah. you lift up our ribs and, you know, there's a book that, you know, as soon as the baby comes out, attached to the <laughs> umbilical cord is this scroll, <laughs> you know, that just drops out and tells you at these different stages, this is exactly what you do because this is how the human's going to mature. And I think this is probably the most key aspect of human transcendence is filling in that gap that we see of rearing and nurturing children, right? Because we already have the concept in science of nature versus nurture when it comes to animals and when it comes to children, right? When it comes to the different category of species of animals, right? The nature versus nurture, what is, you know, innately learned and, and what is happening through its shared experience, right? So if we are to fill in those gaps for, you know, young children of why you eat certain foods, you know, why certain foods have certain colors, why certain fruits have more of a tangy or sweet flavor, right? Why do some vegetables or some herbs, why are they very bitter? And we love, love, love those hilarious faces children make. So why not be able to, you know, <laughs> get a little after ourselves? But at the same time, that memory is not just ingrained in their mind of, oh, granddad or uncle or dad, you know, made me taste something and it was bitter. Yeah. But he told me that it had, you know, healing properties for my tummy ache and my tummy ache did go away. So he told me there's a connection there. But that the synapses and the brain waves and the pathways that are being created at a younger age are going to be much stronger than when we are unlearning in our adulthood and trying to redevelop or not redevelop, but create new neural pathways. So that's neuroplasticity. But if we can utilize it when that brain is in its foundational growth stages, you know, we begin to build healthier generations of humans, generation by generation. And we take it back to you know, like the small little joke you put in there about your grandmother not needing to use a textbook. Yeah. You think about, you know, three or 400 years before that when textbooks really were not for the common public, you know, in a lot of different places. So what were they doing? What were their practices then to continue to live into their 80s and 90s and 100s rhythmically? Like mm. – <laughs> Very active, very capable, still, you know, maybe losing some faculties, but doing this generation in and generation out. And I think it's important that we make those connections at a younger age. Yeah, that reminds me of, I haven't read it, but I heard about a book, I think it's called Blue Zones. And it's about those communities around the world that yep. do have longevity. And they're just kind of studying what are the commonalities behind those. And one thing that always resonated with me was that it's about small amounts of daily exercise and it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean you have to be going out and running a marathon or like hitting the bench and doing some mm -hmm. weights or anything like that but literally just walking through your town doing a little gardening like some of that just any sort of activity physical activity like not sitting at a desk all day like like we yeah. tend to do these <laughs> days any physical activity is like that just gets you so much further so back to that behavior design idea like yeah. If you don't have the time or the energy to go out and run a few miles every day, at least start by getting up from your desk and walking, taking a walk through your neighborhood or something simple like that, because that's powerful. Yeah. I have a question for you. Is, is the teacher in me? 
How did you come across the Blue Zones book? I think it's important for the audience to, because this is what I was speaking about, you know, before of, you know, the process of coming into contact with these amazing different culminations of studies of, you know, people compiling these different studies and then presenting it in book format. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you come across that? Yeah. So my ex-wife was more of the studied health enthusiast of our family. I had just kind of natural instincts. I was always pretty active as a kid. And like I said, I, I had a grandmother who knew how to make food from scratch. And I just loved eating that way. And I always felt better when eating that way. So I just kind of tended to eat healthy in general. But I didn't have any knowledge behind it. I didn't know how to read a nutrition panel or I didn't know anything about like yeah. why vegetables are good for you, et cetera. I just instinctively went that way. But through my relationship with her, I started learning more of that because she was always into nutrition and exercise and mm -hmm. you know everything that would make you healthy. So she would discover yeah. content like that, like books like that about living healthy into your older years and then share some of that knowledge with me. And that's why I say I didn't read it, but I know the basics behind it because she read it and kind of passed some of that information on to me. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that transparency. That's huge. That's huge because there may be somebody in the audience right now. And I did not have that. You know, this was literally me coming, you know, to, again, one of those cul-de-sacs where it was like, okay, we can turn around <laughs> or we can sit here and just wallow in it. But there wasn't somebody around me that was like, hey, have you heard of intermittent fasting? You know, <laughs> yeah. hey, have you, you know, <laughs> have you thought about trail running? You know, hey, have you thought about ecotherapy, which is one of the major things that I push now and something that I would tell again off one of your points of the easiest thing you can do is like get up from a desk. Like the sun's a bit weak here today, but as it was a little bit earlier, the sun was streaming through and that is such a powerful tool you know, in becoming healthy, remaining healthy, you know, what the sun does with the water in our bodies truly helps us become healthier and sustain that homeostasis, that perfect level that humans operate at. That's all homeostasis means, audience, just the perfect level that humans operate at, you know, think of nice. it as, as the optimal temperature inside of your house, you know, like that, you know, that 70, 73 and cozy, you know, <laughs> And going outside, like you said, gardening, I've got pictures of gardening on my website, you know, on my Instagram. I love getting barefoot, getting out there in fresh soil, you know, rich mineral, rich soil, touching my plants, touching the roots, you know, digging things up, moving the animals around, you know, <laughs> that are in there. And you start to realize after 30, 45, two hours the work that you're doing because your muscles are telling you we're taking a break now, <laughs> you know? So people should not always group again. Let me take a step back and be mature here because I'm a professional <laughs> as professionals should not make it appear so that fitness is only going out to run a marathon, going out to do an Ironman, going out to do an obstacle course race, benching 225 pounds 40 times like you're an NFL running back or being able to play games of pickup basketball just, you know, continuously day in, day out, right? These are not the pinnacles of health, mm -hmm. right? These are not the pinnacles of health. Athletics are not the pinnacles of health. But activity 
when we engage our muscle systems, when we move our arms, right, when we lift up a bag of soil and set it down, when we put water into the canister that you water, you know, the flowers with, when you're reaching back to water the flowers with, that weighs, you know? And then if you do a little bit of stretching after that, or even if you do something as simple as taking a walk in the rain or even in the sunshine, you know, these are all powerful. I have a post on my website that I made sure I pinned to the top and it's the potent benefits of a walk around your neighborhood, not a walk around the beach, not a walk around the woods, just going outside of your house and walking around the block literally, you know, for 30 minutes. So yeah, I'm glad that you brought those things up. I'm glad that they resonated more than anything because that lets me know, it gives me a deep affirmation that the way that I'm trying to make the complexity of being a super healthy human. I'm trying to make it very simple because it's very simple. And actually speaking of that simplicity, that's a good transition because one of the things I also saw on your website was the stoplight method for eating. And I think the way you kind of break that down kind of ties back to what you mentioned earlier too, about kind of teaching kids or other people about like that bitterness you're tasting or about that color of food that you're eating, et cetera. And, and trying to like, take away all the complexity of having to memorize what nutrients and whatever are in things, but just have like a nice, simple three color based system that people can relate to. So tell me a little bit about how you came across that method and how you kind of apply it to your own life or to coaching other people. Certainly. Well, continuously being a student is probably the way that I came across it. Just trying to figure out better ways to eat, better ways to maximize how I'm stacking my nutrition or meal prepping throughout the week. And I came across a statement that, you know, just like it pulled me in. And it was when I was studying, should I be weighing my food? Should I be calculating my calories? And to me, I immediately went back to my roots. I don't think that, you know, (laughs) Lucy... I don't think she was weighing her roots <laughs> in her tubers. <laughs> I don't think she was weighing her vegetables or what bone she could crack off this massive mammoth that was taken down by a saber to. I don't think she was weighing that stuff. I think she was like getting what she could, <laughs> getting it in, making sure that she didn't eat what Bob ate because Bob died when he ate that <laughs> and making sure she doesn't eat that because it makes her tummy feel upset. Like it immediately turned me off. And I was like, I'm already maximizing my fitness training with all of these different timetables. So that immediately is telling me if I'm going to learn this to teach to other people, they're going to be turned off by how rigorous this is, right? This is a lot more work on top of their real work and possibly them being parents, right? So I said, no, weighing my food is out and calculating all these calories is out. Now, being someone who is very fat adapted as an athlete, meaning I I do very well on a ketogenic diet because of the activity that I'm involved in, I knew that I had to figure out easily the percentages of the foods that I eat when it comes to their fat content, their protein content, and their carbohydrate content, right? That is a specialist area if someone is trying to do something very special for themselves, a particular diet for themselves. It's not necessary to be a healthy human. Because it was for me, I knew I needed to simplify that. Then I said, well, all of these different types of foods, they're giving me different things. I'm eating these different types of foods and they're making me feel different ways. Okay. And then you start to look at them aesthetically. 
Now, this fruit is actually pretty pretty. You know, this fruit is very bright red on the outside, like an apple. But if you look at, you know, like some of the, the nectarines or kumquat, right? Very rich, dark color on the outside with a different color flesh on the inside, right? Or sometimes matching the inside. And then you start to pair these, okay, well, this fruit, like oranges or caracara, are very rich in vitamin C, right? So you start to see a lot of vitamin C or vitamin rich foods, you know, I, mean, I don't want people to, again, be caught up in these right now, but I want people to know that there are certain minerals and vitamins, these things that help you stay in homeostasis in certain colored foods, fruits, and vegetables, okay? So it becomes very easy to make sure that you're getting all that you need inside of your body by making sure that you eat all these different colors within the rainbow. And of course, you can make it very easy to help with your digestion, to help with your immune system, to help with your cognitive function. All of these things can really be found in red, yellow, and green fruits and vegetables, okay? So I was thinking, as I heard all of this information coming in about calories and carbs and calculations why don't we do colors over calories mm, so instead nice. of calories instead of eating calories why don't i eat colors because we must remember the stomach doesn't have a calculator the esophagus <laughs> doesn't have this you know this audience clicker to make sure that it's not at max capacity that is the stomach's you know elastic ability when it says okay you know we're full Okay, so if we fill it with the right dense nutrients, the right dense minerals and vitamins, right, that is going to fill us up and make us a healthy human over saying, I'm going to eat 300 grams of this and I'm going to eat 10 grams of this and I'm going to have, you know, two tablespoons of this and that's all going to equal up to this. And that's the perfect meal plan because that's what it says. Granted, they might have scienced the heck out of it and said, for your microbiome, this is what you need to eat in that amount of time. But if you continuously have to do these things and you're not into it, some people are into, you know, that I know people personally that are just as athletic and perhaps, you know, a couple females that I know that really do, you know, obstacle course races and stuff, they weigh their food and it makes them feel like they are in control and empowered by the food decisions that they're making. So unless you're that type of person, this is going to be a very rigorous and I don't want to say draining, but it's going to become a process that becomes so tedious that you'll end up having so many reasons and justifications for yourself to say, I don't want to keep engaging in this. I'll find something easier. Right. So if you're able to go into the aisles, especially in different seasons and in different seasons, you're like, OK, so I'm going to really stock up on my yellow and my red, you know, because I want to be rich in antioxidants. You know, I want good digestion. And, you know, I really need some vitamin E because the weather's changing, right? I want to make sure that my skin is moisturized from the inside out. So you start to see that, wow, there's these different things that are coming in January that weren't here in June. And in October, ba -ba 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 pumpkin, right? And that's not there in March. So you start to become aware that, wow, there's so much more out here. And none of it had to do with, oh, this squash or you know, this fruit, you know, this sort of fruit gives me X amount of carbohydrates. When most people don't calculate what a carbohydrate is. But if you tell somebody you're 
deficient, the doctor with the lab coat on, you know, says you're deficient in this mineral and this vitamin. And he says, but you can get these in oranges, mangoes and watermelon. You'd be like, oh, wow. Okay, that makes sense, right? You start to make those simple connections. So it's really all about simplifying the choices that we make as humans. And if I can just root the stoplight diet that I created, it's from making human life simple. Again, we're very complex beings. There's so much going on, right? There's so many different connections in the body, right? We have the nervous system. We have the digestive system, right? We have the vascular system. We have the cardiorespiratory system. All of these different things are happening in the body, and it's very complex to understand them all, even for a regular everyday human. But we really only do three things. We eat food. We should all be engaging in some form of fitness, and we already discussed that could be as simple as taking a walk, standing in your garden without shoes on, right? That can, it can be that simple. And then we all have to fraternize. We all have to develop friendships, that make us whole. We all have to engage with family members because that is who we are. We're a communal species. So the stoplight diet really is just making the entire food category of the trifecta of being a human simple so that people can say, I can eat healthy for the rest of my life easily. Every time I go into the grocery store, I can make a simple, strong decision that I'm confident will make me a more capable and resilient human. And it's all about shopping for those colors. Nice. And it's simple and beautiful because when you have varied colors in your food, it also just happens to look beautiful. And, you know, if you're going to eat, it does. you may as well eat food that looks beautiful, tastes beautiful, and is good for your body. <laughs> yeah. Feast over feeding. Yeah. Feasting over feeding. Yeah. And that, I think to some degree gets back to the communal aspect too, you know, everyone gathering around a, a meal together. So that's, that's awesome. Indeed. So another thing I know about you is that you're pretty passionate about organic. You know, we both happen to be part of the Organic Marketing Association. So we know each other through that. Yeah, O's up. So I'm curious, how did you get into organic in the first place? Was that through your health journey or through some other path? And then, you know, since we're talking about organic, I know that we at the Organic Marketing Association are trying to help flip the script to start talking to the other 95%. And I think that's part of what you do as a healthy human and a coach is is try to make things more digestible and accessible and easy to follow, et cetera. So what was your path into organic and how does that influence your work within the Organic Marketing Association? Oh, man. Again, onboarded with <laughs> with ancestor mother Lucy and thinking, huh, if she was growing food, would she be spraying something on it? to make it, you know, resilient or resistant of some sort of bacteria? No, I don't think she would. I think it would have came from the ground. She would have grabbed it. She would have ate it. And she would have said, okay, I still feel okay. And I'm not hungry anymore. So we'll keep eating this. And we'll look for where it grows. And perhaps we can figure out how to replant it. Because at a certain time in the year, this thing pops out. And it either floats away or it falls in the ground. And then another one comes out right? Or I eat this piece of fruit and I drop it. And then right there, another plant comes out, right? So it wasn't somebody saying, oh, you have to eat organic. You have to, you know, you've got to shop organic. Though a lot of that noise was, you know, chirping big in 2016. You know, it was very loud. And 
me being a student, I'm willing to sit through certain things that other people are very turned off by because I want to figure out, A, what's the base of this? They clearly made a production, so somebody put some intention into this. What is the basis of it? And then even if it's a convoluted intention that they have, is there something here that I can learn from? Even if it's teaching me how to be aware of this sort of you know, pitch in the future. So I would hear through it and I'm like, wow, this is a lot of good information. They're saying it in a very, you know, elitist and, you know, very pointed manner. But I can get around that if, you know, I'm, I'm learning the tactics. It's not like I have to hang out with you. So I'm like, OK, organic is better. And that does make sense that I wouldn't want my food grown with sewage sludge. And, you know, I wouldn't want my food sprayed with things that are now depleting the minerals in the soil, the same you know, rich soil that I'm telling you to go stand in your garden in when you have these massive farms that are, you know, spraying pesticides and so forth, that is no longer, you know, ground that you want to go and walk in with bare feet. So it made sense because I was already on that path, you know, and just moving forward, you know, getting more people, uh, more diverse audience of people to understand that it's going to take people speaking about it in a very organic manner. So we are from this earth and we eat things from this earth and we enjoy this earth. And if we make it as simple as that, as we're speaking about food here, the main principle in being a healthy human, I think it would be so much easier for the world to make a full shift because we can think in that direction. If we're thinking about going on to other planets, why can't we think about global organic produce? When we do have the land, we do have the resources, we have the technological capabilities in so many different ways. And we seem to have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of philanthropic funding out there that, you know, help build these different projects, you know, that can move us from one planet to another. So I believe we can genuinely shift people from not caring and assessing what food they put in their body and where that food comes from, how the people that cultivate that food are treated and what that food does for their body directly. I think if we can do that, people will all be, you know, saying, Oza, I really do, because they'll be excited about being healthy. They'll understand that what they put in them becomes them. Mm. And when you really understand that, you feel so empowered. You start to realize that you've had superpowers in you the entire time. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's funny that you explain it that way because that's also one of the ways I often explain it when I, you know, first started getting into organic, and a lot of friends were seeing that and being like, "Ew, what's that organic stuff? Is it going to taste like cardboard and have dirt all over it?" Yeah, <laughs> and I would always explain, "This is yeah. what are you talking about? Organic is just the way." Food has always been up until our grandparents' generation when all of a sudden they started changing it to be more chemical-based, right? And it's not some creepy, weird thing. It's just what dinosaurs through humans, through every other animal has eaten since the beginning of time. So stop thinking it's yeah. the creepy new thing. It's the old thing. We're just going back to the way we used to do it. That's right. That's right. That's right. So breaking down the stoplight food system, kind of explaining simply without a whole laundry list of all the things that organic doesn't include, you know, but explaining simply the value or the why organic makes sense is, you know, part of the focus of Organic Marketing Association, taking it to the other 95%. So I guess what gets you personally excited about spreading organic further to, you know, people who maybe haven't experienced it or haven't necessarily 
maybe they've been intimidated by it before in the past of like not knowing what organic means, like I was just saying. And I guess what gets you excited about spreading it to the other 95%? Spreading that power. You know, knowledge really is power. And when you have the power to make a better decision, you have the power to change the world. So if I can continue to share that through my experiences, through my story, through my passion and my energy, then I feel like I'm succeeding. I hope I'm succeeding because, again, we can capitalize and shift an entire narrative and an entire trajectory of humankind itself in so many different ways if we just have a bit more knowledge. And if we just focus on being a human or what we eat and what that does for us, right, where it comes from, we understand that we could sit down and every day, me and you could meet every day for one hour and have a cup of coffee. And we can meet for about 30 years and speak about food every day and speak about something new. Speak about something new all the way from the taste, all the way to what comes from one land, right? All the way to growing practices of certain grains like rice in Asian countries, which is a very labor intense process or wheat in European or American countries, right? Or maize in, you know, the Southern Americas, well, Central America. These things, there's so many different aspects in the things that make us or keep us alive that we could learn so much about it that there's going to be an area, a facet, a different node for each human to be able to plug into and say, wow, this really turned me on. Wow, this was really captivating. You know, the adults that grow up to be gardeners, there was at some point when they were a child when gardening was appealing to them, right? It was either their parent or their grandparent. And if you can connect the growth process of food, like food that will sustain an entire, let's say a state, right? Apples, let's say apples, right? A little girl wants to grow apples. She's been gardening all her life. If you begin to teach her at a younger age about soil, about regenerative farming practices, about the different genes within an apple, how to make sure to protect those when the climate is fluctuating the way that it is, you begin to build up this amazing botanist, right? This this human that is so ingratiated with a portion of keeping humans alive, right? So there's so many different ways that food is impacted and food is impactful. And that's really the basis of the stoplight is making people aware, simplifying it. Because remember, I simplified it from my rainbow approach, right? Which is the very next step, you know, but you have to open the door first before you sprint in and jump on the bed, right? So it allows people to look at those three different colors and then see the process is, wow, where does my lime come from? Because I live in Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Where are my oranges coming from? Because I've tried this experiment. I put seeds in the ground as a child (laughs) and I never get an orange tree, right? Where is this coconut oil coming from? Because my friends have palm trees, no coconuts, never, ever, ever, right? So you start to think, where does this come from, right? And you get people involved in the different processes that go around the world. And we can go on and on with how do those things get from there to here? And these are these are just the ways that you get people you know, excited about the world that they live in because it opens up their point of view. We get locked in on things that we're already either passionate about 
or that we are devoted to doing, right? So that can be going to school, producing, you know, economy inside of the home that is sustainable, parenting, helping out with a parent. Any of these things are very labor intensive and mentally, you know, high priority things, which means they take a lot of mental energy, right? Which is something people forget. But if we can open up other areas for people to look into that they're already interacting with daily, again, we're all eating food daily, unless you're fasting, you're all eating food daily. And that's something that you can say, wow, for just a moment, you can step out of yourself. You know, the kids are taking a nap. Oh my God, thank goodness. Oh, oh, thank goodness. They're quiet. (laughs) And I'm eating this apple. And you know, I live in some climate where apples are not you know, big or something like that. And you just start to ponder like, wow, the world is so big. And perhaps that sparks something, you know, so food is key in so many ways. We have to realize that we have to, we have to harness and hug that if we nurture it, we could be better. That's awesome. Yeah. One of my favorite tips when people ask me the piece of advice I would give to other designers trying to practice sustainability I always start with just be curious. <laughs> and it's, it's like the same kind of yeah. tip that you're talking about because curiosity is the path to understanding, right? If you ask yourself some interesting questions, you can go find some answers. And then all of a sudden, you know a lot more than you did a few moments ago. And that answer might lead to a bunch of other questions. So so it, it seems that that's like a universal piece of advice is just be curious. I love it. I agree. So one thing that people might not know about you is that you also, you know, happen to be a bit of a fitness slash organic influencer, you know, always taking some really fun photos posing with different organic products in your fitness routine and whatnot. So as somebody that knows how to kind of make that message accessible, put that message out there in an uncomplicated, fun way, like what advice would you have for some of the brand or marketing managers listening to this for getting their brand out there and reaching new audiences? I would say that they should ask themselves, what is the goal? Because we're living in a new age, an age where, again, as I spoke earlier, you know, these generations that come after us learn things differently, accept things differently and reject things differently. Right. So now we're dealing with a time where people are not accepting everything that's shiny and thrown at them. People are seeing the flimsiness of a lot of plastic posterizations of products. Okay, so I would say before they go out and spend any money on trying to engage with any audience that they may not be engaging with prior is to ask themselves why they want to go there. If it's just about dollars, then I would ask them to ask themselves again, is that a sustainable model the way that you're going to go about it now? Because you may just come back to the table, you know, next year or next season trying to do the same thing. So without even engaging them on a moral level of is that okay or is that not okay, just think of it in a planning matter of is this sustainable? How often are we going to have to redo these planning sessions, Mm. right? And if you're really trying to enlarge your sphere of customers or your clients, then get to know them and not get to know about them, get to know them. Because what we're seeing now in this heightened era of violence against people who are non-white, there is a lot of influencer work going on. And it's becoming to a point now where it it almost makes you want to back away from the word influencer (laughs) if you are somebody from a BIPOC community, because it's like it's starting to become the token poster of a company 
for a few months mm. with, you know, maybe some products from them, some shoes or, you know, because I'm into the outdoor scene, you know, so hiking or running shoes, you know, maybe a tent or something like that. And then perhaps like some publicity on their on their site, you know. And that may be okay for a very base level influencer if all you're trying to do is influence people who look like them to come out and enjoy the lifestyle. If that is that goal, that's great because it shows them we are investing in an area where we see that you have been cordoned off. You have not had the equal access to this area and we want to do our part. We can't do everything. But we want to do something in order to make that access for you a bit easier. And we found somebody that seems to be doing it in a way that we feel is, you know, really cool. (laughs) So perhaps this is somebody that you can look up to, that you can ask questions, you know, and all of these things. Right. So that is what an influencer is supposed to be, somebody who can manifest change in others, who can catalyze change in others, either directly or indirectly. So that can be me right now influencing through this direct conversation, or it could be when I'm out training on my bicycle and another black child who nobody in his family, like mine, ever did anything outside of the normal urbanized sports, basketball, football, track, right? So they're seeing this and they're like, whoa, look at this guy. You know, he looks athletic like me, you know, but look, he's he's got tattoos. He looks like these guys over here, but he's in this field over here. You know, and it gives that child confidence to go out and ask questions and be curious, nice. like you said. Right. So it's, it's really I think it's very valuable to keep those foundations. Right. Because, again, with those foundations, we can always make the proper decision, you know, going forward. So in terms of making an impact on the actual market with diversity, you have to go in with the mindset that you're going to learn and that you are engaging yourself in the learning process, A, because you don't know, or B, because you've learned something and it has caused you to have a stereotypical reaction or a bias about somebody. And you're saying, okay, that's not okay. Whatever brought you to the point to realize it's not okay. You have to realize that you're coming into these spaces to learn how to be a better human. You cannot in this world, I don't care how much money you make, I don't care how many more millions you have than me when I say it. Truth is truth. You cannot be a loved and you can't be a great businessman where people are actually interacting with you. You can sell Teslas. You can do that because it's a great feature of human innovation. But in terms of having something like Evolve or the Healthy Human and it being a sustainable, loved thing that after generations, people are like, I love everything that it stands for. You have to be a good human. You have to be able to understand where others are coming from. You have to be able to meet them where they are. You know, as a teacher, you have to meet the student where they are. You don't expect the child to come into second grade at seven or eight years old at this level. You understand that they're coming from a living situation that may not be able to produce as much time directly with that child, or they may not even have direct access to as much of the World Wide Web as other children. Right. So we have to take these different factors in when we're meeting the world and when we're doing things like trying to open up people's pocketbooks who have already been taken advantage of decade after decade after decade after just a few decades before those decades I've just listed off. We're not able to engage in the market and that's stretching centuries. Right. So we're trying to get somebody who barely has money 
to make the right decision with it, but at the same time, not feel like they're being guised, you know, out of that money. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, not feeling like somebody is just using a token of who looks like them for them to engage and spend that money. Right. So you want to understand what is it about this person or this this demographic that fits with my brand? Because it can't just be an umbrella cast of or a fishing line cast of, well, there's all of these different things that we want to sell to them or there's all of these different people that we want to sell to. But what is it directly that can connect to the plight or the desire of progress of these people? Right. And then try and make that direct connection. Because if you can make the direct connection, you're connecting with humans, right? And then you can put your business hat on and be like, whoa, I got systems in place for transportation of these goods. I have lots of, you know, entry level internships where I can actually get people in to learn about how to produce the product, how to transport the product, how to sustain the different managerial portions of the company. And now you're getting people involved with all assets, all areas of the business, of the organic product. Right. So it's not just, hmm, we see that there's more money out there. (laughs) How do we get it? You know, how do we get it? That's fine because you're a businessman or a businesswoman. I understand that. This is your livelihood. This is how you're going to send your children to school. Right. But at the same time, you are selling products to humans, not robots. And these people are interacting with your product and you're expecting them to come back. So why not provide something to help them connect with the product and with you so that they continue to come back feeling loved, sharing that love and building a community of that loving product, right? So it just gets down to the basis of how would you want to be treated by somebody who is taking your money, however small or little? And then if that doesn't really sway you, think about your little child and how they would feel, (laughs) you know, or how you would feel knowing that they're getting swindled and they don't even know it. They feel happy because they have that sense of pleasure of this really cool product, but you see how they're being swindled because of something that, you know, really pulls at their heartstrings because they're, they're young, tender, and genuine, you know? So just, it really comes down to being a solid human. That's awesome. So like good brands start with good humans. (laughs) And if you're being a good human and trying to help other people be good and or healthy humans, then you're probably in the right path. And then from there, it's just all about learning, you know, understanding and setting good intentions and just, you know, helping build a better world through every means that we have, whether that's being a better employer, a better leader, a better brand, et cetera. I love it. Yeah. Great. That's beautiful. I I loved your notion too about, you know, how you could get in front of a table once a day for an hour and talk for like 30 years and never run out of conversation. I feel like we we could probably be doing that about health, about good business, about food, about all those things. So so I appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your schedule and talking about some of those things with us today. I have a feeling we're going to need to have you back on to, (laughs) to dive in deeper with some of these subjects. But thank you for being a healthy human and helping others learn how to be a good human and a healthy one, of course. And I appreciate all that you're doing and thanks for your time.
Uh, my organic good food friend, I really appreciate you having me and your audience. I appreciate them being warm hosts as well and taking on all of my tangents. <laughs> I hope that they were able to take some notes from my tangents. You know, one of my favorite teachers, he is very, very known for that. But I have gained so much information from those. So I think it's sort of made its way, ingrained its way into my my teaching presenting style. You yeah. know, I just I want to be able to connect with people. I don't want anybody to feel left out. Yeah. Well, I think it works. It's beautiful. And, you know, there's just 20 lessons to unpack in every every tangent. So it's great. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thanks for having me. I, I eagerly look forward to another invite. I really do. It would be great on any subject. Perfect. We'll do that. Cheers. Cool. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Zeke and his mission, go to thehealthyhuman.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, hit that like button and share it with your colleagues. And of course, send us feedback and ideas for who we should talk to next at evolve at modernspecies.com. And learn about our new online community at evolvecpg.com. See you next week.